0: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you guys are doing well. I am having one heck of a week. Let me tell you, I got back from Vegas Monday morning, I suppose you could say, because it was like 2 in the morning, Sunday night. So technically, 2 a.m. Monday morning, I got home from Las Vegas. I had an amazing time, really Just did Vegas right, yet again. I really always have a good time there, though it is really draining. I feel like it's hard to go to Vegas for more than like three days because it's so much stimulation, so much to look at, so much to do, to drink, to eat, to experience. It's just a lot, like flashing lights. It's a lot to experience. And so that's why I feel like two, three days is really all you can do. So I got home from that trip and luckily I slept in like a little tiny bit. I slept in until 9. I usually wake up at 8, like on the dot, let myself sleep an extra hour, but I still felt when I woke up like I hadn't slept. I was just really sluggish and out of it, which is like, you know, what one would expect after traveling a full weekend and just like all of that energy. So I sat down to work and I was like, this is going to be like not a great work day. I just had a feeling I wasn't going to be very productive. It was going to be, well, I had things to do and like it was a non-negotiable, like I had to do these things, but it was going to take me a while to get these things done. I just knew it. Like I was going to have to take ample breaks, lots of coffee, lots of water, like, you know, just, you know, when you go into a work day that it's going to be a tough one. You just kind of know. And I knew this one was going to be a tough one, but not as tough as it ended up being because not more than two hours into working, I spill an entire cup of coffee all over my laptop. And the reason why I had... A full cup of coffee. I mean, I kind of, you know, go back and forth between making my own coffee at home and going out and getting coffee or ordering it just depending on my mood and what I want to drink. So this morning I was in the mood to drink a pumpkin spice latte because I just needed something to make my soul feel a little bit better and just like brighten my day and nothing brightens my day in the fall like a pumpkin spice latte. I don't care how basic that makes me. So I ordered one on Postmates to be delivered and the Postmate drops it off. I opened the package so excited to see my pumpkin spice latte and they messed up the order. I looked on the bag and it was the wrong name, but the guy had already left and was already out the door and I'm like, "Damn it, I should have told him." But like I didn't have time because I had gotten the bag a few minutes after he had already like gotten into the elevator and left. So I had someone else's matcha. Like iced matcha could not be more different of an order. So I put the matcha in the fridge. I was like, maybe I'll drink this later. I just was not in the mood for a matcha. And I went and made myself a coffee thinking I was really saving my morning. Like, it's okay. I'll have my hot coffee. I realized, remembered that I had this creamer in the fridge, this pumpkin spice creamer. I was like, you know what? It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. I will save my coffee order and (laughs) I'll just make my own. Made my own. Took one sip, forgot how hot the coffee is that comes out of the Keurig before I like let it sit. I don't know. I just was not in my right mind this morning on Monday. Take one sip, the whole thing just catapults out of my hands onto my laptop, my beautiful laptop that I've used for so long and it's gotten me through so much. And like I just it was so sad to see her go. She just like died right there in my hands. (laughs) Like It was fine for a second. I Googled quickly on my phone what to do. And I did everything that it said on the website, like flipped her on her side, like did everything I could to try to save her. And it just was not coming back on. I gave it a little bit of time, tried to even charge it, which I, in hindsight, that probably wasn't smart. I feel like that's like going to start a fire or something, but tried everything And decided, okay, well, I have 75 million things to do right now, but I have to go march myself over to the Apple store. So I went to the Apple store, which is actually not that far. It's actually kind of a good little nice walk, even though it's been like disgustingly rainy this week. I got my umbrella. I put my Uggs on actually because it was cold. And I walked to the Apple store and I walked in and it was the ultimate walk of shame, like the ultimate walk of shame, walking into the Apple store with my dead laptop in my bag saying because they, they kind of approach you and you walk in and assign you to where you need to go, especially in the Soho Apple store, it's massive. So you need to be like directed in the direction of where you're supposed to go. And I go, okay, <laughs> I like got so nervous. I was like, so I'm having myself quite the Monday. I spilled a whole coffee all over my laptop and the guy goes, ooh, brutal. Okay, so the next available person like in the Apple care sector isn't available for three hours. In my mind, I was going through all of my to-dos and all these time-sensitive things I had to have done on Monday. And I'm like, that is just not going to do. It's not going to do. So I said to him, I'm like, well, will they be able to fix it? Like, I could do things from my phone. I could figure out a way. If they could fix my laptop, then I would wait. If the odds were high that it was fixable, you know what I mean? So the guy says to me, he's like, honestly, I highly doubt it will be fully functioning again today or in the near future. Like it'll need to be shipped out or it'll need to be held. And it's just, it's going to be a process. And part of me was considering in my mind, like, is this just a marketing technique for him to get me to buy a new one? And I was like, you know what? Apple, they don't need to push their employees that hard, I don't feel, because they're such a massive company and people were everywhere buying this new phone. Like I feel... I looked pretty helpless and pretty sad over this. I don't think he was like fucking with me. I think he was being serious, like it's going to take some time or it's just a lost cause. So I ended up buying a new laptop, which is what I'm using right now. And honestly, it was upsetting only because laptops are so darn expensive. But overall, I had that laptop for five years. I had gotten it in 2017 or maybe it was 2018. But still, regardless, it had a long run. It made a lot of videos, a lot of podcasts. It did a lot of work. It was okay that it bit the dust, I suppose. I was more so just angry at myself. Like anger was just radiating from my body. Frustration. Just mostly anger because it was fully my fault and no one else's. Like, yes, I can say the whole bit about like the Postmates slash Starbucks people. If they hadn't messed up my order, then maybe I wouldn't have spilled the coffee. Then maybe, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have had to make the carried coffee. Then I wouldn't have spilled it. But you know what? At the end of the day, it was my fault and my fault only. And that is what is so excruciating about it because I really can't blame it on anyone else. So this situation got me thinking about anger and about the need to blame that we have and misplaced blame and all of this stuff and i was thinking about that kind of mulling over it writing about it all of the above and i stumbled across this very interesting story from history from the 60s so recent history but very interesting story that I just need to share, and you're going to find interesting too. I just know it, especially if you are interested in psychology or if you live in Michigan. <laughs> to details from the case, or not the case. It's not a. I've been watching way too much uh, Criminal Minds, but it wasn't a case. It was actually a study, and it's just really interesting. And I'm surprised I've never heard of it because there was actually a movie made about this specific study with some very big names. Anyway, let's get into it. So the year is 1959, and it was a more rigid time in mental health history where treating patients with like electroshock brain therapy was a legitimate form of treatment. Our story surrounds three different schizophrenic patients who all had one major thing in common. They all three identified as and deeply believed that they were Jesus Christ. Doctors and experts wanted to know what would happen if they brought the three Jesuses, these three men who were convinced that they were Jesus Christ, together in one psychiatric hospital. Like, what would happen if they were all in the same hospital exposed to each other? So the three Christs, as they were called, were engineered to live together for two years by this one specific psychologist who ended up writing a book on it. His name was Dr. Milton Rokic. And Rokic's goal through all of this, like what he ultimately wanted, his end game goal from bringing these three men together, was to cure them. He wanted to break their delusions. He wanted to set them straight. He wanted one, two, or all of them to admit they weren't Jesus Christ. Dr. Rokic figured that if he could just introduce the three men who all shared this same specific delusion, then maybe they could be reasoned out of their insanity. And it's kind of fair for him to assume that this might work because there had been a similar study done on two women who both believed themselves to be the Virgin Mary. So similar to the Jesus Christ of it all, these two women were convinced that they were each The Virgin Mary. And when they were introduced to each other, one of the Marys realized that if another person claimed to be the only Virgin Mary, there only was one, right, in the Bible, then surely she must be mistaken about her own identity. Like it just took her meeting this other woman, this other Virgin Mary, to realize, oh, nope, I'm not. I'm not her. There can't be two of us. So I'm the one who's wrong. And this realization forced one of the two Marys to just snap out of her delusion. And she was, I guess, cured, but that's just what the legend says. So Dr. Rokic, he was determined. His reasoning for launching the study was based on the simple biblical notion that there is only one true Jesus Christ. So if he deliberately introduced multiple people who all believed themselves to be Jesus Christ, the very known fact, these men knew very well that there's only one in existence, one in the Bible, would challenge their delusions and they'd snap out of it too. That was his reasoning. And he thought that after two years that something would happen. So the three Christ's, let's talk about these three men. They were Joseph Castle, Clyde Benson, and Leon Gaber. They ranged in age from their late 30s to their early 70s. And the deepness, the severity of their delusions, like how far they went with it, varied as well. So the first guy, 58-year-old Joseph, he was... Pretty chill, mild-mannered, and had been institutionalized for two decades, quite some time. Prior to deciding he was Jesus Christ, Joseph was a writer, and though he had never been to England, he claimed to be English and needed to return. So that was Joseph's story. Then we have Clyde. Clyde was 70 years old, and he suffered from dementia and often recalled simpler times working on a railroad and fishing. And the third Christ, his name was Leon, and he was 38 years old. He was committed to an institution, actually very young as a boy, when he commanded his mother to forsake false idols and worship him as Jesus. So the three men, different ages, physically they looked different despite the fact. They all had beards, but they all were just different ages, kind of different different heights, different looks. But they all shared one thing. They all thought that they were Jesus Christ. So Dr. Rokic first introduced the three men on July 1st, 1959. Although when they first met, they all used their given names. So Leon, Clyde, Joseph. Each of the men made sure to also reveal themselves as Jesus Christ. You know, they need to just let them know. <laughs> like, oh hey, I'm Joseph, but I'm actually Jesus. Like, just so you know, pretty much, as a cow went. So Dr. Rokic assigned the men rooms next to each other in the psychiatric hospital and seats in the cafeteria together, as well as jobs in the laundry at the same time. He pretty much made sure that the three Christs were constantly running into each other and just could not get rid of each other. Like, they were constantly in scenarios where they were nearby, where they could speak to each other. He was kind of, like, forcing them to have contact. So through being together so much during their day-to-day over a span of two years, they were pretty much, like, forced to confront each other and talk to each other about the Jesus Christ of it all and confront their beliefs and talk about their identities and things like that. So that was intentional. Weeks went by in the study, and the three men argued constantly— That comes to no surprise, honestly. None of the three men gained any ground with each other, but instead each became more and more frustrated and angry with each other. In one conversation, the first Christ said to the other two, You ought to worship me, I'll tell you that. The second one said, I will not worship you. You're a creature. You better live your own life and wake up to the facts. And the third Christ said, No two men are Jesus Christ. I am the good Lord. So they had various conversations just like that one, basically calling each other out for being liars because they, you know, each of them knew or thought in their core that they were the true one. So Dr. Rokic launched a little mini experiment within this experiment and sent the three Christs letters So the three men received letters from different people, not from each other, from different people. So Leon's letters were from his newly invented wife, Madame Yeti Woman. He had created this wife. So his letters came from her. Joseph's were from the head of the hospital. And it's unclear who Clyde's letters were from, but all three were supposed to be receiving letters from people they admired, people they respected, people they loved, things like that. But in fact, the letters didn't come from these people at all. They came from Dr. Rokich and his team. They concocted these letters, which is pretty fucked up, not gonna lie. So the letters started out as a normal conversation and included simple tidbits and things. But when Dr. Rokich began to question the Three Christ's identities in the letters, the patients completely broke off contact. Like, the Three Christ stopped responding. They just would not entertain the people writing them the letters because they weren't being believed. They just shut down. I don't know what Dr. Rokic thought would come from that experiment, and it's also really messed up that he did lie to these men. But it was interesting that their, you know, defense mechanism was just to shut down when people didn't agree with them or believe them. As time went on, the men started to humor one another's delusions. They did not, in fact, change their beliefs. They each still thought and deeply believed that they were Jesus, but each individually came to the conclusion that the other two men, the other two guys, were insane. They even oddly became friends, defending each other against other patients, Though I don't feel like it's that odd considering they spent so much time together. They were forced to spend so much time together. I feel like naturally you get to be a bit close with people that you spend a lot of time with, even if you think that they're crazy and don't believe a word that they say. So they stopped arguing and they talked only about mundane things and completely avoided the subject of Jesus entirely. So after the two years of the study, Dr. Rokich ended the whole thing because he had accomplished next to nothing, two calendar years and really nothing to show for it, except there was a few personal things that the doctor learned about himself. Like After all, he had come to the psychiatric hospital to cure these three patients of their God complex, when in fact, they ended up curing him of his. He explained that in the intervening years, those two years that he was there, he had grown uncomfortable about the ethics of his experiment and he admitted that he really had no right even in the name of science to play god and interfere around the clock with their daily lives which i completely agree with i'm glad that he came to this conclusion because it was pretty messed up and he really didn't have anything to show for it it wasn't successful in the way that he wanted it to be like these three men ended up as far as i know forever believing that they were jesus christ it nothing broke their belief The only interesting thing that was kind of gleaned from the study was the fact that though the three men did not believe each other, like each of them still held this strong conviction and belief that they were Jesus, they didn't totally hate the other two by the end. They just thought they were kind of crazy. Yeah, they were a little bit pissed at them. But they became buddies, like they became friends and just kind of swept the whole Jesus thing under the rug towards the end. They were just like, okay, you know, I am similar to you in a lot of ways. I don't agree with you, but we're still bros. Kind of a way of saying like we're going to agree to disagree. Interesting, right? So after reading about this, I was interested in whether or not these men were narcissists and i was like wait a second if they're schizophrenic i wonder if there's a relation between schizophrenia and narcissistic personality disorder and i found that there it's possible to have both because narcissistic personality disorder is a personality disorder whereas schizophrenia is a mental disorder and multiple disorders are possible in anyone so i'm wondering cuz narcissists you know they want everyone to believe that they're always right and the rest of the world has the problem like if there's a problem with anyone it's not me it's the rest of the world even if those people that they're calling crazy are just like them in nearly every single way so i found this story the three christs the narcissism of it all super interesting and while i was reading it i even found a few areas where i could personally relate to the three Christs, like even though I certainly don't believe myself to be Jesus or really anything close to Jesus. But let me pose a question that I think a lot of us can relate to. So have you ever been in a position where people around you who are anywhere from somewhat to super similar to you? So your friends, your coworkers, your family, like you have something in common, a shared project, a shared lifestyle aspect, a goal, etc. And you start to Oddly resent them for having that thing in common with you and doing something differently with that shared thing or similarity. And then you kind of get confused with yourself because you're like, why do I hate this person? I love this person. Like, why am I starting to hate them? You know, obviously, that comes from like a lack of control you might feel over that other person, a fear that they might become better than you, or maybe, you know, recently I've been identifying another reason for the specific form of resentment and frustration that I felt towards some friends of mine that are super similar to me. So here's a specific scenario. So for let's say a year now, you are in this job, you felt trapped in this job that no longer brings you any joy. You hate it, the work is unfulfilling, you don't feel like anything you're doing is even making a difference in the world, which is what you went into the job wanting to do and you're afraid to ask for a raise, your boss isn't very supportive, you took this job because you wanted to grow and you, you wanted to learn and you thought you might even like grow to like it more over time, but now you're afraid to leave once you've realized it's not panning out that way because you're afraid to let people down or you just don't know how to go about it. So you're feeling that way, you go to drinks with a close friend who is in the same industry as you, who is currently in a job that they like, Maybe they even love it, but they want to be challenged more. They want to move up a tier, move up a peg, and try something challenging, something that might not be so stagnant and secure and cushy. And so they're considering a job change. They saw this one position at this company that you have heard of through your job stalking, and you know that this job that they're considering is eerily similar to yours in the sense that it looks super promising via the job listing, but it might not end up being that way. Once they're there, they might experience the same exact challenges that you are. So you tell them, your friend, about your current job situation, and you warn them that they might regret their choice. They listen to you. They consider what you're saying, but they ultimately decide to take the job. Months go by, and the person has, through seeing them a few times here and there, has expressed to you that, like you said, they aren't the happiest in their new job, They don't feel fulfilled. They're afraid to ask for a raise. Their boss isn't the best. And instead of feeling a rush of, oh, wow, I feel bad for this person, you feel one super strong feeling first that you're kind of embarrassed by. Anger. You feel anger. And not anger towards them for not taking your suggestion or listening to you. It's kind of this like loving anger, if that makes sense. Like, do you know what I mean by that or am I crazy? Like, this person who you – Respect you like and who is so similar to you made the same mistake that you did. Why are you mad at them? Is it anger that you really have for yourself for making your own mistake that is radiated outward to hit them too because they made the same mistake? Like, why are we mad at this person for something that we did and they did in two totally separate instances that really aren't related at all? Like, why is anger something we or an emotion that we jump to? So Here's my thought on all this and kind of how I've tried to reason with myself because it can be like a really confusing thing. I almost feel like the devil for feeling mad at this person. Like, obviously, I'm going to outwardly tell them how I feel, like how to help them. I'm going to help them in any way that I can, but I still have this anger boiling inside of me and I don't know why. This is what I think. Behind all of that emotion, like lurking behind that anger that is inside of me is disappointment and Behind that disappointment is fear. So I'm disappointed in my friend for falling into the same trap as me. I'm also disappointed with myself for falling into the trap as well. And I have fear, I'm fearful. I fear that the expectations that I have for this person won't be met. Like I really thought they were better or I thought, I don't know, like I thought that they wouldn't make the same mistake that I did that you know maybe this person is lost like that's another fear that you know this person that i care about is making mistakes and in destroying the future that i have envisioned for them or the fact that i might have to actually confront the problem that i'm facing because of all of this energy and this emotion like i I'm feeling compelled to maybe actually do something about the fact that I'm unhappy in my job because this other person is now too and I need to show both of us that it's possible to get out of a shitty situation so I have to motivate and I'm scared of motivating. I don't want to do it. Like this screw up is reminding me too much of my own mistakes and my own flaws that are eerily similar. And I think this is kind of in the same grain or very, very similar to the way that parents get mad at their kids for pretty honest mistakes. Like not that they're genuinely furious at them for messing up. It's just because they've told all their parent friends how bright and great and amazing you are and how you will be and how you're going to college and you're gonna be a doctor and all this stuff. And they've probably even convinced themselves and branded your perfect future into their own brains only for you to make this mistake that might even be just an honest kind of dumb mistake and potentially ruin all of that. And they get so mad because you're kind of ruining the picture that they had for you or of you in their minds, the way that they saw. And it might be directly correlated to them and how they went through their life and they don't want you to turn out like them or things like that. Like It's all very personal. I think a lot of the reason why we get mad at other people are the very thing that we have done is because we aren't ready or don't know how to confront our own problems and our own demons. And so we take it out on other people. We always want someone to blame we always want someone to blame. Back to my coffee story from earlier. I just want to blame everything on the Starbucks guy and move on. But back to what I was saying. So other people's mistakes remind us a lot of ourselves and the mistakes that we've made. A lot of the mistakes that we haven't quite accepted in ourselves or are still embarrassed about. Like We haven't gotten over them. We're not over them. We're probably still living in them. And another reason, we love people. When we connect with people we love, it's like a gory, scary movie watching. like It's just hard to watch, bad, scary to watch the people that we love make the same mistakes as we do or we have. And it can make us feel deeply angry that this person that we love and respect and thought better of and thought that they were going to be better disappointed us, like we feel angry. With the three Christ's, these were three very similar guys, like bearded, deeply convinced that they reached Jesus better than everyone else, potential narcissists, And in the beginning of the experiment, they got mad at at one another for trying to steal their thunder and insulting them by calling themselves Jesus. But in the end, they were friends. They were looking out for each other. They were feeling kind of sorry for each other. Like one of the Jesuses who still firmly held his own conviction that he was Jesus looked at the other two guys with kind of like this kindness. Like he didn't believe them. He didn't think that they were – he thought that they were crazy. He thought that they were mentally ill when all three of them were like he thought oh pity these guys are great but they don't know what they're talking about and that's sad and it makes me kind of feel for them but i'm still going to firmly hold my conviction you know it's just interesting i don't know if this is like a fully related story of how what i feel about the anger towards my friends and people that mess up or people that i believed in that fall from grace. You know, there's actually another way you can think about that too. I think there's been a lot of buzz recently about certain influencers over on TikTok and other platforms, these really, really well-loved influencers falling from grace because they say one bad comment, something that rubbed people the wrong way. And people get so mad. And it is kind of that loving anger, that I was talking about earlier, it's because it's just this disappointment. Like you loved this person, you loved following this creator. And then she said this one insensitive thing that isn't like outwardly offensive. Like it, it wasn't the one that I'm thinking of, like it wasn't this one comment that she said was just something a little bit tone deaf, but it wasn't racist, it wasn't homophobic, it wasn't horrible, it wasn't like fighting words, trying to get anyone worked up. It was just something that was just a little out of touch. And everyone like, Attacked her for it. And I don't think it's because they were genuinely like mad per se. It was more so they were disappointed and they were sad because they really looked up to this person and really appreciated this person and thought they were different, even though we're all the same. Because you have definitely, like the people that are coming after this woman for saying these things, have definitely also said things out of touch before, not knowing they're going to be taken out of context just because they weren't filmed. Even like you said, something that was a little bit offensive or someone could find it offensive. No one filmed it. So the whole world doesn't know and can't come after you and can't say how disappointed they are in you. I know obviously there's some things that like like if you were afraid of getting backlash, then why do you put it online? But sometimes like with the nature of how social media is, things are so blended now or the lines are so blended it's hard to know when to turn off with Instagram live and TikTok live and stuff a lot of things have been captured that like people can't edit or take back or like formulate into a better thought. So it's tough, but I think that this like loving anger, this disappointment, this weird sensation that we feel towards people that are similar just like us that would do the same like we have made the same mistakes, why do we get so mad at the people we love for making the same mistakes as us? It's because I think in a weird way, it's because we're good people and because we don't want those people that we love and respect to feel the pain that we have felt maybe. It's also because we just haven't confronted it ourselves. I don't think we haven't gotten over it. We haven't taken the necessary steps to make ourselves feel better. So we focus all of our energy on all of the ways that this other person has messed up to make us feel better, like to make us feel like our fuck up wasn't as bad. Really at the end of the day, we are all so much more similar than we think. And you just I hate to bring it back to this, but you always have to just put yourself in someone else's shoes, especially when it comes to like influencer drama or any sort of celebrity that's fucked up. Yeah, there's some that are just like unforgivable. People do horrible, horrible things, but some people you just have to think, okay, there people are dying. There are bigger problems in the world. And imagine how this person is feeling, especially if they already had deep insecurities and mental health struggles, and then on top of that are now just getting relentlessly beat down by people who are just disappointed and just sad and can't seem to get over their emotions. I don't know. I always just think like maybe it shouldn't always be about me. Like maybe this other person, this friend of mine who I love made this mistake. Why the hell am I making this about me? By being angry and disappointed, I'm making it about me. I need to focus my energy on helping them, on helping them heal and figure out their shit. And I need to focus. I need to work through my own stuff on my own and not attach it to the back of this other person's car. Like, it's separate. It's separate. Like, I need to stop trying to lump things in and place blame on people who don't deserve blame and try to make the situation just so much harder than it already is. Like, I tend to do that. So... I always stop myself now. Like whenever I start, you know, listening to a friend talk about something that I've gone through, I try not to make it about me. I try to realize that people are going to make their own mistakes and do their own stuff and it has nothing to do with me. I should not get unnecessarily mad at someone for making the same mistake as me. It's just still a little bit weird to me that I do it, but I've found through talking to some friends and honestly even just evaluating how they react to things that I do that are similar to them and their mistakes, I've realized, like, we are all kind of the same in that. Like, we oddly just feel this weird anger towards our friends who do the same things that we've done because we just want it better for them. And it's selfish because, like, it's not about me. It's not about how I feel about them. It's about them and how they feel about them and how they are, how they're doing, and where they'll go from here. So, anyway, (laughs) what an interesting story. A tale of false gods and narcissists and loving anger, as I called it. Interesting, food for thought. Let me know what you guys think of this concept. Do you ever feel yourself getting sucked into this mindset as well? And what do you do to get out of it? And yeah, let me know what you guys think. I will talk to you all next Thursday. As always, a new episode of Match Made in Manhattan. My other podcast is coming out on Friday morning. It is a glorious, glorious episode. We already recorded it this morning. So lots of podcasting happening this week. Thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you on another episode of Thick and Thin next Thursday. Bye. Bye.